0: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Poetry Says, my name is Alice and very happy to bring you this interview. I was lucky enough to have a visit from Amanda Anastasi the other day. Amanda came over and we had a lovely chat about lots of different things. We mainly focused on the reading series that she has been convening, which up until very recently was called The Owl and Cat Poetry Readings and Amanda co-convenes this series with two other people and I got up the guts to go along um, just a week before we chatted and recite a poem in front of the crowd and it was such a wonderful experience because it's a really really warm and supportive reading so we talk about you know creating those poetry spaces and the value of going along to an open mic what you can get out of it as a poet, and. Also about the role of the poetry convener, what it is to kind of manage those spaces. Amanda has recently written a book um, with Robbie Coburn called The Silences, which I highly recommend you check out. And we touch on a few of her other poems that have been published, including The Last Humans, which came out in Foamy and QV Lawn, which I'll put a link to in the show notes. So I really hope you get something out of this one. Here is Amanda Anastasi. I came along to Alan Katz, which is no longer Alan Katz, on Sunday. Was it Sunday?
1: Yes. It yeah. Was.
0: Yeah. It feels like ages ago now. <laughs> you know, it was such an
1: amazing gig. It was so yeah. so good. No, know, I'm I'm. It's, it's such a, a wonderful gig to read um, on the open mic for the first time and we always choose two poets that are, I don't know, have a common thread but are uh, that contrast in some way in their style. And it's, yeah, it's a very warm and welcoming gig. So yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, I was not prepared for how, for the level of f- positive feedback I was going to get for that poem. So I mm. had been practising it all week. And feeling a lot of doubt about like it's not funny Mm -hmm. it's too weird no one will know where the jokes are Um, but people were waiting and ready to laugh and that was that was the great thing is like as soon as they kind of sensed that this is not a a particularly serious poem they were totally on board with me Mm -hmm. and I just I thought that was so such a wonderful thing like the fact that everyone in that room is there to support the poem whether it's a serious very quiet poem yes. whether it's a very opinionated poem a funny poem everyone's just yeah. like i'm they're I'm really ready you. to
1: be engaged with the poet whatever they offer yeah and and the great thing about uh the allen cat readings is that there is such a, a range of styles that you're on the open mic so i think that means that people feel comfortable um sharing whatever it is they yeah. have and um, yeah, so we're, we're trying to find a new venue now um, because we really like to continue. We might have a bit of a break at the beginning of uh, next year but um, yeah, it's a gig we really want to keep going.
0: Yeah, yeah. so anyone out there listening who knows of a good free theatre in Melbourne?
1: Yeah, we're looking for a, a sort of a small theatre space. We don't, we don't want to be in a bar or something like that. We want something that's cut off where all the focus is on the poet yep. um, and on the performance. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for that yeah sporting poets is in a pizza restaurant so it's like there's good and bad aspects to that yeah anything and everything does happen when i read that yeah
1: yeah little kitties looking at stuff but it's a very i love the you know that cozy sort of old style pizza restaurant It sort of brought back memories from childhood actually yeah i kind of like that yeah there is a
0: a coziness and a relaxedness to it but yeah
1: and i love pizza so that helps a lot Yeah, But yeah, like, I
0: I don't know. I don't go to enough open mics uh, at all. It's something I want to try and rectify over the summer when I've got a lot more time to work with. But whenever I do, I feel like it's, um, I mean, you, you're definitely not going to like everything that's read, but the cumulative effect of the reading and then hearing the features is so sustaining. You just go away and you feel like you've writing. learned something. Yeah, you feel like writing. Yes yeah and yeah for the, since then like little bits of lines have been coming to me at very inconvenient moments
1: and you um, also get an idea of, of what people are writing yeah in, in you know in the scene in Melbourne yeah um, and so you get a good idea of, of um, you know what's out there and where you fit in and, and, mm. um, and it's inspiring it's inspiring to hear what other people are working on and, and being in that creative um, environment and also, you know, when you submit something for publication, um, you don't get that instant feedback, you know? Mm, mm. And sometimes it's good to get out there and just put a piece forward and see how an audience reacts. And Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just good to engage with other writers like that.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, you get a line-by-line line response. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know when each line is working, each stanza is working, and you know where it's falling flat. Um, and, yeah, you get... There's this great permission that comes from um, seeing 20 other poets read and going, oh, I really don't like that. That's not what I want to do. Or I really love that. And I'm so excited that that poet is reading that particular kind of poem. I think the last yeah. reader on the open mic um, read uh, or or had memorised a poem about doing laundry. right? And it was so... Um, Uh, this is a a male reader and he was Mm. reading a poem about washing his shirt that he wears (laughs) too often and it was just I don't know it was so joyful but it was kind of angry and it was really defiant Mm. and it was very very domestic even to the point where he was Mm. making the sound of the washing machine and I don't know that was that was just great that was so seeing somebody do something like that I come away feeling like cool I'll just do whatever the hell I want to yeah yeah
1: and it sort of um, gives you an idea of the, the kind of things you can write about and the territory you could possibly cover because yep. sometimes we get stuck in you know the, the same old subject matter and mm. um and and you know then we see how we can even broaden and broaden um you know the subjects that we write about and mm. and, and what people respond to as well yeah but I think it's it's really important to to be authentic up there you you can't write about things that just don't interest you, you know. Mm-hmm. Everybody has a different set of interests and and things that inspire them to write. Do, do you
0: think there are people who show up to open mics and um, slams who feel like they have to come with a certain type of poem, like there has to be quite an opinionated, maybe political poem to get a response?
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think, look, every gig has its own... Um, mood um, a a sort of personality if you like and especially with slams it tends to be a fixation with um political um so activism or representing a certain culture or gender or yeah it, it is much more opinionated and political so for instance i'd feel a bit odd reading at a slam because i'm i don't think my work is that overtly political, although it is, but it's not it's not really um I don't know. I, I tend to want to be a bit broader than that, um mm, mm. and not just address a specific group of people or to preach to the choir kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um yeah. I think it's important for a poet to be able to communicate with um with everyone that, that universal aspect. But at the same time it has to be about your own experience, something that you know. Um, yeah, so yeah, that that's my answer. I think yeah. a lot of poets do that. Um, yeah, I guess it's like
0: you know, if you are truly up there, um, doing that kind of, you know, there's a saying like preaching to the converted, and then people yeah. say, well, the converted still need to hear their yeah. preachers. Mm. But so if you if you truly feel that, then it shouldn't stop you from getting up there and and yes. talking about these things. But at the same time. Yeah, I, I wonder, I have wondered when I've been to those kinds of readings, like how many people up here are talking about these issues that they've chosen because they feel like they have to have an issue. Um, yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I think, well, I think that it's important to be authentic. So if, if, if you're trying to please an audience, then I think when a, when a poet is a little bit, Trying too much to please an audience and not really doing what's coming from from within them and what they really want to say you can feel it when someone gets up there and is you, you know it's um completely and utterly something that's um sincere um and not imitating anybody else mm. um audiences respond to that very strongly and we don't want to hear the same stuff all the time you know no. we, we, um it's important to find your own voice. It's important to learn from other poets, but to also embrace your own voice. And don't be, and you know, if you are a bit different um, in your style and in, mm. in, in your subject matter, allow yourself that. Yeah. Um, I find that when I'm when I'm reading something that really scares me to read it, that I think people are gonna hate it or not relate to it, they always end up connecting because I'm yeah. sort of taking a bit of a risk and just doing something that's might be different or. Yeah.
0: That's really good to hear. I have a a, and this poem that keeps coming to me line by line, is um, yeah. The the subject matter is not very universal at all, but I feel like I want to put it together and I want to read it in front of a crowd and just see who comes up to me afterwards. Yeah. To see if it actually gets. But you'd be surprised
1: at how many people will engage with something that you might think they're not going to be interested in. Um, Yeah. Because it's it's something that's unique to your experience, but it's not as probably as unique as you think it is. Think. Well, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that reminds me of this, this Claire Gaskin line that I keep coming back to, which is the, spe- the specificity is what makes it applicable to the widest audience. Yes. So if you're talking about something that seems like just totally daily and unique to you, that is actually going to be the thing. Yes. Yeah so yeah yeah Um, yeah and the features from Sunday so you had Melinda Smith and David Stavanger that was like a rock concert (laughs) towards the end like yes
1: a little bit of Ghost Boy came out (laughs) which I didn't expect but yeah Yeah. it was yeah it was really
0: fun it was great I mean the poems so Goodbye Cruel uh, Melinda's book Mm -hmm. Um, I was lucky enough to interview her for Verity La about the book and that book was such a turning point for me because it kind of brought me back around to being okay with uh, lyric poetry, narrative mm. poetry. Because I'd kind of been going off into this like experimental zone. Where I'm like, this mm-hmm. is the, I've got to just do this because this is the only thing that's you know yeah. being taken seriously or whatever. Yeah. And then I read that book and I was like, yes, this is this still matters very much. And yes. getting to hear her read them in person was great and she was a great example of like holding space with mm. without um like huge of it emphasis and energy she was just quiet and yeah yeah
1: yeah i think sometimes less is more you know mm. um and and you know i'm not a big fan of overperforming. however i do think that um, page port poets still need to bring their work to life or in a way to to be present in the poem so that the audience can connect with it. Mm, mm. Um, so you can be present without jumping around and, you know, <laughs> using <laughs> gimmicks and things like that. You know, she just stood there and she read her poems. Yeah,
0: but, but she was present.
1: Yes, and that's the yeah. key.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I think the when we check out or when I check out is when I feel like a poet um, it has one foot out the door. Mm-hmm. they're like, yeah, I'm reading this, but, like, I don't really want to be. And, like, yeah. you can like it if you want. Like but they're
1: reading it, like they're reading a shopping list or something. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's like, this is yeah. a poem. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: which is, like, it's not um, out of any – like, I don't think people are trying to be cool usually. I think it's that they're nervous.
1: Yes. Um, and there's, I think there's two things you can do when you're nervous. You can read the poem really fast and not pace yourself and not read clearly because you're not seeing – you're not hearing it from the audience's point of view. You're just in your own headspace thinking, oh, I'm nervous, people are looking at me. Mm. And so you're not present in the poem for that reason. Yeah. Or if you're nervous, you can overperform because you don't feel comfortable being yourself up there. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's two different sides of the spectrum, but it sort of comes from the same sort of yeah, discomfort on stage. You yeah. Um, so, yeah, you, you, you want to, I think you sort of have to bring yourself back to when you're writing the poem and what it was you wanted to communicate Mm. at the end of the day you're communicating something to the audience and you want to be in that poem so that they get it you know if you're not in the poem or you're tired of the poem and you're like okay I'm gonna read this and yeah um I I suppose you have to believe in your own yeah I think you have to believe in your own poem really you have to have conviction in what you're doing and if you're not if the poem is very new I think and you're not totally sold on your own poem yet, Mm. wait, leave Mm. that one for a later time until you really feel comfortable with it. Yep. Although I know a lot of people who use the open mic as sort of to try out a poem, try Mm. out a new poem, which is nothing wrong with that.
0: I think it's just a question of like, if while you're doing that trying out, Mm. commit to it completely. Mm. Like no one is there. If you're the one getting up behind the mic, no one in that room wants to see you. Um, not be fully into it yes like yeah. we'd rather see you go for it and and like maybe flub a line or have it not fully come across mm. than like see you stand there uh kind of apologizing for yourself yeah yeah which is all stuff that i have done mm. many a time we've um, all done it yeah well i mean that's that's how you start but then you see people who are like Melinda Smith, um, like Susan Feely read an amazing poem. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody there was great and everybody there clearly wanted to be up there. Um, but yeah, when, when David Stavanger got up to read and he started doing these particular performative things, yeah. I was like, oh my God, like I want yeah. to somehow capture some of that. Like the, the first, I think, poem that he read was just a, a collection of very short um, headlines yes and it was super weird and kind of funny and like it would be one of those things where no one would say anything but mm. one person in the audience would react they'd yes. be like huh. I, th- I oh, think there were go, a few
1: people that were puzzled like what is yeah, he doing yeah what's he
0: doing but every time someone reacted he would pause and look at them and yes. only them and then he'd go back to
1: them well, oh. there's an example of a poet who's very aware and in tune with his audience and so he knows exactly what's happening. And I sort of, I enjoy that when poets can sort of banter with their audience a little bit or res- there's a bit of a responsiveness mm. between them. Yeah. That shows someone who's very confident and comfortable on stage. Yeah,
0: he's obviously, yeah. he's loving it and able to um, hold the space for, for quite a sustained period. He read, I think, the majority of the Electric Journal mm. and that's one of those, one of the these poems that to me are like anthemic rock songs like as soon as he started reading it i just wanted to be like yes this is happening (laughs) he's gonna read the whole thing um yeah and and he basically did and yeah i mean yeah we were all just devastated Mm. and then he ended on a much more jovial note yes yeah
1: yes (laughs) <laughs> do we want to recreate that one um, <laughs> i'm not really sure what to say about it it's just so amazing yeah and there was great use of lighting as well one of our um light bulbs went out and so we were just reading by lamplight, you know and so you know david made great use of the lamp by actually reading the poem into the lamp <laughs> to, to light up his face in a very um yeah interesting way but yeah um yeah so it's so it's interesting seeing poets who, who see what's around them they set. yep and just use that
0: that's another thing like maybe the mic is crapping out or maybe you do have a lighting problem mm. or maybe there are um noises from the kitchen or whatever like if you can maybe use that as well like don't mm. necessarily have to be like so fixed uh, yeah.
1: in your idea of, of what you're going to perform. Yeah, flexible it's, it's not going to go perfectly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's definitely not going to go perfectly, and, and it's better to it's be ready for, for that. Moments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. anything could happen. Yep. That's um, true. Yeah, oh, so good. I well, feel you know, like I learned so much from that, just yes. from that one open mic reading.
1: Good. I'm glad to hear it. Open yeah. mics are so important. I mean, with La Mama, I don't run an open mic. Um, Al and Alan Cat is my way of... Um, you know, I sort of just stay at the door and, and, and do some sort of, you know, I don't even see that gig, but it gives me a chance to sit back and listen to the open mic and mm. see the emerging talent. And um, Yeah. Yeah, it's a great way to discover new poets.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, I think... Uh we kind of have a bit of a bond in that we are now or now I'm a poetry event convener and Mm -hmm. and you have been for a while and you wrote a great piece on Melbourne Spoken Word about what it is to be a a poetry event convener I
1: read that a while ago that was a very facetious um satirical piece I love that you read that there was a lot of like stuff in there that I agreed with though I pick people asking for features and things. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. It sort of surprised me that that's something that happens to you. Um,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. And I haven't um, had that yet. Well, you That's good for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, you know, I've never done it. I've never asked for a feature because I want. I want. I don't. I wouldn't want to pressure a convener into featuring me, and I want to earn that. Mm. I want to earn that. Um, and also, um. If you ask someone to feature you, how do you know that they're asking you because they like your work, um, and it's you legitimately earn that, or because you asked for it? <laughs> yeah,
0: I, I'm the same. I wouldn't want that um, kind of. Yeah, I, I want to feel special and I sort of want that, that legitimacy. Of, yeah, of yeah, yeah. That I,
1: and even so, you know, I, I as a convener, I, I don't. I, I hate the idea of someone. Uh, featuring me because they want to feature at my gig, and all that. sometimes you worry about that and mm, you think about mm. that, um, because at the end of the day we're conveners, but we're also poets, and we want to be we want our work to be appreciated, and it's two different hats that we wear. So, yeah. um, but number one, we're poets, mm, you know. Mm. So um, yeah, but uh, yeah, it's it's very uncomfortable when someone asks you for yeah. I mean, sometimes it's different when it's an interstate poet um, that. Wants you to know that they're going to be in town. That's a different story because then yeah, we want to we know, know. otherwise. Yeah, that's but If right. you're a Melbourne poet, mm. we know you're there, mm. <laughs> mm. and we're listening. And sometimes it's not that you haven't been thought of. It's just that sometimes it takes a while to find the right lineup for you. Um, you know it, it's just a bit of patience sometimes required.
0: yeah and i'm trying with sporting poets to have a good uh, balance of gender and mm. inclusivity in terms of not just being like all white poets all the time yeah um, i do the
1: gender balance so yeah I have four poets to always two women and two men yeah i like the age diversity as well yeah age stylistic diversity too. yeah and so that and i only have four at La mama poetic i only put on four gigs a year mm. that fit into the um, four seasons of the theater, the theater seasons yeah right so that doesn't give me a lot of four, no, you four got, dates a year That's not a lot to work with
0: yeah you got 16 poets yes is that right
1: and I have a <laughs> lot more poets in my head that I would really love to feature Yay. soon but sometimes that doesn't happen yeah it doesn't happen straight away
0: um I'm I'm really interested and maybe this is a like a more of a personal question for me that I should ask you off mic but like what you said you were talking about being a poet first to convene a second. And it struck me, um, watching the Alan Kat reading, um, and I don't think that Anthony and santa would mind me saying this, but like you were very much a stabilizing force in a room that was like um had the potential to maybe go a bit wild at times. <laughs> um, which is cool. Like that's exciting as well. But like you're 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 the calm in the in the eye of the storm there and i also get the sense from i listened to an interview with you on 3cr and you're talking about your own work and it seemed like your practice is relatively um like you know you you make time for it it's intentional that kind of thing and yeah it's just my constant question to other poets is like what is it that you do in your life to kind of set up structures and boundaries so that you can be a convener and be the calm in the eye of the center of the storm and also be a poet who can be ready for the lines when they're coming and actually sit down at your desk.
1: It's a bit of a balancing act because we all have to work and and make time for writing. I, I, I do need to make more time for writing, but I do try and spend a little bit of time every day either working on a poem or even if it's just improving a couple of lines or you know some days the lines come some other days they don't Mm. but I think it's good to spend at least you know a certain amount of time a day working on a poem even if it's just editing or um so that you're you're always working on it and you're always progressing um but I find in those weeks when I'm convening a gig it's very hard to be in that creative space yeah um because I'm organising an event and it's just a very different part of your brain that you're using it is, it so, is,
0: you've got to think about like who's going to be there and have I confirmed it, all the details yeah,
1: and, timekeeping and,
0: yep. and you know Promoting all of these it.
1: Things. Yeah. it yeah. Yeah. and so you're really um, not working on your own poetry for say a week or so because you're um, providing a forum or a space for other people to Offer mm. their poetry and I think to be a convener you have to love poetry and love listening to poetry mm. from other mm. people if you're only interested in your own work then you probably shouldn't be a convener yeah it's not going to be very satisfying and really. to be a good writer you, you need to expose yourself to other poets and, yeah. um, and I, I think it's important to encourage up and, up and coming poets as well um, I think we should all be um, you know building each other up and each other develop and get better and mm, mm. you know um inspire each other um but it's wonderful to see po- poets that you know that have that potential they're sort of starting and they get on the open mic and yeah you can sort of see where they're going and and um and then it's wonderful to get somebody up there that knows what really established like Jennifer Compton or Susan Feely and you go okay I know I'm gonna hear something that's been worked on and is top quality poetry mm. and um so I, I love that something like the Alan Cat Readings will have both of those things. Yeah. And, you know, you have the established poets there and emerging poets and, you know, and they can mingle and talk and share their work. Yeah,
0: you know. absolutely. And they can they can react to one another's work, like...
1: In a good or a bad way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, yeah. let's face it, you get anything on the open mic. You know, If someone walks in and they're new, you don't know what they're going to do. Mm. And it could be excruciating, or it could be delightful. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, I've seen a couple <laughs> of open mic performances, and I'm just like, I don't know where to look right now. Like, I just don't. When am I gonna make it through this? Are oh, well, any of us gonna make it through this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know, you gotta admire the guts sometimes. Yeah. But yeah, I I've been thinking about that. Um, this idea of inclusivity in terms of poetry spaces Mm. Um, and uh, I hesitate to use the word safety because Mm. that's a you know that could suggest that there's no edge to the space and there's there's no like it's all Mm. just going to be very staid and boring but I'm wondering like what are the things that as conveners and as poets like how can we how can we make the spaces as inclusive as they could possibly be? Like one of the things that constantly obsesses me is like, there are people who just can't make it to any of these gigs because okay. they don't live in Melbourne or they live in a metropolitan centre. Mm. Um, I record Sporting Poets so that they could maybe listen to it. I mean, the quality is not great, but you can kind of hear what happened. Um, yeah,
1: I think yeah. these online tools like videos and and, you know, recording, so that's that's a great thing because it just give, it makes more people accessible to it. Mm. Um, as far as creating a safe space, um, I, I don't know. I can only speak from my own experience as a convener. I, I try to make every poet that performs feel comfortable and, um, you know, I think that if you create a, a, a nurturing... Oh, I don't know if nurturing's the right word, but an environment where they they feel that they are going to be listened to, inspired, um, and and you know, uh, I don't really know how it happens, but I know that at La Mama Poetica, the audience is always, and I think Alan has the same quality, the audience is always ready to engage, and I think that's something that the convener sort of creates um, through their personality really, Yeah, and we don't really yeah. know how we do it, but um, yeah i just think you have to have a very um have to be open to sometimes you, you need to take a risk as a convener like you, you'll book someone that you're not quite sure what they'll do and you know there they may be some uncomfortable moments or um but, but you need to you need that little element of risk in a gig to 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 keep it fresh you don't want as you said, for it to be stayed and predictable and yeah there's that little bit of especially with open mics there's that, that little bit of risk there that someone might do something make someone uncomfortable or whatever. but good thing is open mics usually they don't go on for more than three minutes yeah usually yeah. <laughs> And that's another time of it timekeeping. Um, as a convener too, you have to make sure that someone doesn't hog the stage or go on for too long and you have to have strategies to deal with that. Yeah So it's all part of it. there's so many elements to running a gig.
0: yeah Yeah. completely i think part of making that um that's safe or not safety but like part of creating that space that everybody feels uh comfortable is a lot of what i saw Santo doing as the mc at Alan cow which was like you kind of make yourself the target yeah yes um you know, I'll, uh, lately, like, when I first, my first boarding Poets, I was so nervous. Mm. Well, I only said the bare minimum of what I needed to say. Um, And I think the gig really suffered for it. But, like, that was as much as I could manage at the time. Yeah. Now, I will tend to try and add lib a bit of stuff Mm. in between. And, you know, more often than not, I'll say something that's, like, sort of silly or self-deprecating or, like, yeah, try and put myself in the position of, like, i'm the jester here i'm kind of like the the dummy um and that means that the poets look that much better and that if people are feeling uncomfortable or weird about something it's kind of like i can take the tension out of the room a tiny bit And i think santo watching him i was like (laughs) i gotta get me some of that you know
1: yeah (laughs) Yeah, look, the thing that Santo Anthony and Santo do is it, they have a bit of a, a jokiness and yeah. and not taking themselves too seriously and that self-deprecating thing sometimes, which makes everyone just relax. Yeah. However, I think it's important to just be yourself up there. So if that's not your personality, don't yeah. try and do it. So I don't I have got any Hawaiian then, shirts. So. Yeah, if I got <laughs> up there and started to do a Santo, people would be like, what are you doing, Amanda? It's just not. So yeah. <laughs> So whatever your personality is, just relax up there. Mm. Like, I'm the type of person that I don't like to make it about me. Like, I like to keep the wheel moving along with gigs. So Same, yeah. Yeah. However, um, you know, a bit of chit-chat in there and, and just, you know, um, ad lib, as you said. Yeah. that makes everyone feel relaxed, you know. Yeah. Um, it's not a school
0: presentation night.
1: <laughs> right. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like the first time you do it, you're like... <laughs> oh, God, yeah, totally. I mean, I read bios because I really like people to know what that person has achieved and mm. you know, why I featured but then I'll say a couple of things about why I featured them and, you know, how I discovered them. But I'll keep it brief because yeah. the stage is for those poets. Mm. Um yeah. so that's my philosophy, is that I don't I don't want to make it too much about me when I'm convening. Yeah. Um Yeah. But look, um at the Alan Cat readings santo and anthony i mean you could just go to just listen to them because they're so entertaining (laughs) they are really entertaining you know uh, yeah some people really come because the MCs are so fun and also for various reasons obviously the features that we choose and and to be on the open but it yeah and that's a gig that has a limited open mic so um, and that's a good thing because sometimes some open mics go on forever, and you're there at eleven o'clock, eleven thirty, and you're no like, when well, is this gonna be over? Oh my god! So it's very important for us. We we because we, we um, have a theatre space that we are um, using. We have to be out of there at a certain time, so we, mm. we we have to just keep it moving as much as we can.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's all about what you're looking for, I suppose. If you do want to spend all night at an open mic, there, there yeah. are those gigs for you.
1: Well, yeah. I don't. No. <laughs> well, no. you know, I, I don't think people want to be stuck there all night. I mean, yeah, you, you need to have some control over time and, and, mm. and the structure of the gig and, and, you know, people to start getting bored and, yeah. Yeah. You exactly. Want to keep them engaged.
0: Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, pretty, it's a pretty fine art, really, when you start yeah. deconstructing it. Um, yeah. 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 It makes a big difference. So I definitely want to ask you about your own work as well um, and I'm gonna lead into it from sort of a strange angle. Okay. I did an episode a couple of weeks ago about a poem that I've been unable to kind of succeed in or finish or get anywhere with for about four years mm-hmm. and I'm wondering if you have those poems as well, poems that you just like... in the interview on 3CR you said something that I really identified with which was mm-hmm. Poems that start out with a really concrete idea are much harder to finish than the ones that actually just like come through, you know, pretty instinctively. Yeah. Um and for me this kind of failed poem is one that I was like, I'm gonna talk about this thing and I've never been able to successfully get there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I
1: have poems that have been sitting around for ages. Um and sometimes I'll have an idea of I really want to write about this particular thing. It's something that interests me but the lines aren't coming yet. Mm. So I just have it at the back of my mind. And because it's still sitting there in my head, at some point, something comes. Um, so there are those poems that um, I have to sort of wait for them a little bit. But sometimes I, I do have to discipline myself to go, right, I'm going to do something with this. I'm going to sit here and I'm not going to leave this desk until something comes out. Yeah. And even if I get one or two lines that way, it's it's on its way. Yeah. So I think... The best way to describe how I write poems is it, I almost treat it like a, a painting on a canvas. You know, I'll sort of do a couple of couple of brushstrokes, walk away from it, have a look, maybe mm. come back to it the next day. Mm. I need distance from it and then to come back to it. Yeah, I think a lot of writers would be the same because we're so subjective with our own work. And and I just I need to sort of have a few days or at least a couple of weeks sometimes with some poems where. After having some distance from it and reapproaching it, um, I can immediately see what needs to be changed and where it needs to go. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and
0: sometimes you need. It's funny though, because sometimes that distance never gives you the answer. Um, that's been my experience well, then anyway. then you're probably on the wrong track. Yeah. Maybe
1: you need to approach it differently. Yeah. Or I've had poems that I worked on and then I ended up using two lines from a very long poem because I just mm-hmm. realised, no, I'm, new, I'm, I'm sort of moving in the wrong direction. It has to go here.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and being able to let go of the, the other forty nine lines or whatever yeah, it is, and just feel like to just let go sometimes. you too, you're coming with me. Everyone else, you're off the list.
1: But something, yeah. Sometimes I think I'm not one of those poets that just writes and writes and writes, and then has to do a lot of editing. Mm. I'm very sort of methodical, and I edit while I'm writing a lot of the time. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And so sometimes I have to push myself to add stuff on because mm. I am already very economical. And sometimes I wish I could just, you know, just spill out mm. the, the mm. words. But I just, I, I, yeah. Um, but every poem is different. It has a, a different um, process, I guess. Um, uh, but it does take, I, look, I do sit on a poem for a while and I edit a lot mm. until I can look at it and go, there's nothing more I can do. And that feels complete. Yeah. You know, sometimes you have one poem and there's one word that just doesn't seem right, or you know, one line that you just feel as though you're not quite right, and you got to sort of let it go and come mm. back to it, and then at some point you work out what to do with that.
0: Yeah, or just to cut it completely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah
1: sometimes, and that's the hardest thing to do. Um, but at some point you realise that has to go. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um. Are there any poets you've been reading recently, be they historical or, or contemporaries, that are really doing it for you?
1: Um, what was, what's the thing I'm reading? I'm, I just finished reading Susan Feely's collection. Oh, lovely. Which is a very beautifully crafted work, strongly, uh, strong images. Um, uh, and I was reading a bit of Dorothy Porter recently, which just, oh, it's just such brave, writing it just hits you in the guts it's fantastic um and that really inspires me to mm. to be you know to take some risks as a writer
0: you know what i think's weird is that no one i don't know I, I wasn't reading poetry enough um 10 years ago when when dorothy was was still publishing to know if many people sounded like her at the time but i feel like no one sounds like dorothy porter anymore no and i don't know why that is because she's great and surely she should have like legions of imitators yeah but um... she's got
1: these uh, these. she's so economical and so inaccessible and yet i don't know i find that you know you have those poets that write those really short lines and those really punchy mm. things but it's not as punchy as her she just has this ability to just mm. you know her words just cut and they just everything there's nothing Dull about a single mm. thing that she's written.
0: Yeah, that's that's it. It's like you're never bored, even if the lines are jagged, uh, mm. jarring, or like just not very pretty. You're mm. still entertained. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, a, a poet who I really love the work of Ian McBride for for the reason that it's so economical and it just everything is there and so much is said. And, and to me, he probably comes the closest. But again. Different poet, you know, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, you're right, they, they definitely overlap in that way, yeah. but um, yeah, I wouldn't have made that link just because yeah. their voices, I mean, the voices just, are different,
1: yeah, the voices are different, but um, yeah, just very, very striking, um, words that just stay with you. Mm. Um, and I recently, I actually recently launched Peter Bukowski's collection, oh, cool, The Courage Season, so that was another one I've been reading. Um, which is very clever, and he does a lot of acrostic stuff. And um, I, I'm always fascinated with poets like him who can be very lighthearted and humorous, and also very write some very serious stuff. In the one collection, you know that yeah. that light and shade, and mm. um, and he's an incredibly accessible poet, um, not hard to read, yeah, um, but a, re- a real joy. Um, yeah, so yeah, I've been reading a few things.
0: Yeah, that that uh, that humour ability to put humour in is uh, something that I've has become important to me much more so in the last couple of years and I've started to realise that like you can tackle difficult subjects, but that doesn't mean that you should be super earnest and everyone should be like mm. sitting there with their <laughs> hands folded. Um, yeah 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 it's it's interesting though because like one of the the themes that i really really identify with and love reading your work is that you have um an amazing ability to articulate climate anxiety (laughs) i feel i don't know if that's something that you're aiming to do but i read your poems and i'm like yep she feels exactly the same way i do about this stuff which is like constant creeping dread (laughs) it's not very funny but you know it's um but
1: you know it's funny because i think you might be talking about the poem i wrote that sort of slightly apocalyptic poem last humans which is yeah that's the one i'm
0: thinking of and also qv lawn okay yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah Mm -hmm. um with last humans that that it's interesting i've read that piece and it's very full of dread Mm. but I still get a laugh at a couple of lines. Yeah,
0: maybe because it's so dark, people people are just like...
1: Yeah, there's a little bit of the compelled. ridiculous in there. Right. Like the power walkers that won't stop. and the, Yeah. You know, so I like the idea of making uh, humanity look a bit ridiculous, because mm. we are. Mm. Mm. <laughs> mm. Mm. With Lawn that was written for a um, a spoken word show where we smart, or Loop City. So it was written oh, okay. more for performance. Right. So it's not actually published anywhere, but it is on a CD. Um, but yeah, that, that image of a, a confused seagull on fake lawn, um, I had to do something with that. Mm, <laughs> it's um, Yeah, I'm very much concerned with the changes in the environment and the strange way that um, humans, and, and just the changes to the ecosystem. And it's just a really odd time we're living in where we all know that the planet is dying and we're all just marching on and we're not really changing much and it's just an interesting time to be writing
0: Mm. yeah um did you happen to see um so they just come out but there's a new documentary on netflix uh, about joan didion i haven't seen it it's so good i literally sat there taking notes and um Actually, where is my notebook? I'm going to find that. Okay. And edit this back together. Yes, yeah, so I sat there taking notes, and at the very start of the, the documentary, she says um, she felt this is this is like 1969. She said mm-hmm. she felt like she was writing in this period of extreme atomization when writing was an irrelevant act, mm-hmm. and she said to to continue writing, I had to come to terms with chaos and um disintegration i think mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and i just yeah. thought like that you know she's she's talking about a very different era but yes. um i felt like that really clearly articulated the way that a lot of us feel and, and reading your work it's you know i thought probably something that applied to you as well where you kind of like recognizing Yeah, the the chaos and writing within it.
1: Yeah, I suppose for me um, the act of writing poetry is to make some sort of sense of the chaos or put it into some kind of order almost. So, um, yeah, I I write from a very calm place. You know, I I don't write when I'm in the middle of an emotion or whatever. I'm in a thoughtful place where I'm looking at everything and going, okay, you know... um, this is what I'm seeing, and and just organising the images and the ideas in a way that, yeah, I mean, you never totally makes complete sense of something, but mm. um, I suppose that's what I'm trying to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I don't I loved hearing that from a writer like Joan Didion because. I don't know it, it, it's great sometimes to be reminded that like this isn't the first time that we as writers have had to come up against our own um, impotence mm. <laughs> like so directly yeah um, yeah like when she was writing the, the the essays that she talks about then it was like yeah it was it was real chaos people were mm-hmm. people were yeah in a very bad way in the US at least So, yeah. Yeah,
1: I I think I I write well in chaos. Mm. (laughs) Uh, Even in both my writing practices, for instance, I tend to write a lot when I'm in a really loud place. Yeah, right. If I'm in a, the best place for me to write is in a doctor's rating room with the TV blaring and kids running around. Oh, that's amazing. But if I sit somewhere quiet, it takes longer, but the, the stuff comes when I've got human activity around me for some mm-hmm. reason. It's like the writing of the poetry is me trying to be the calm in the storm and the quiet. Yeah. It inspires me. It, yeah. So I think I probably... The more chaotic the world becomes, and the, uh, the more I'll probably be writing, yeah. which is a good... Well, a good and a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like...
0: I'll, I'll take the, the quiet over the poetry some days, most days. <laughs> um, yeah. You've got a, a fantastic interview series on Melbourne Spoken Word called The Last Word. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, which is great. Um,
1: That's the most economical poet, uh, interview series you've yeah. probably seen. Yeah, it's
0: like, uh, yeah, very short and sharp, and I like it for that reason because there's a yeah. lot of these like this in The US, you've got huge, rambly podcasts mm-hmm. like The Poetry Gods, Commonplace, um, both of which I'm totally addicted to. I've just found out about a new website by a poet called Kave Akbar called Dive Dapper, and that's huge written interviews with poets. So there's like so mm-hmm. much conversation yes. between poets, and obviously, I am hugely contributing to that. Yes, as well, right now. <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> but um, yeah, the last word is very much like yeah kind of you could see these in a magazine it's really easily. it's yeah, like yeah. a
1: poem it's like an interview poem yeah yeah yeah
0: <laughs> so i picked out uh three of my favorite questions from that because i my theory is that interviewers always want to be asked their own interview oh, questions no, really. <laughs> yeah. so what's your favorite word
1: gosh okay this is where you're gonna to have to edit because that's <laughs> all right now you, you have a thing I think my favourite word is return.
0: Oh, that's a great answer. Yeah. People always go for like super long words. Like I would have said like uh, elephantine or something like that. You
1: know? <laughs> I don't know. I think return because there's a sense of hope in the word and a sense of movement. And yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> super great answer on the spot. <laughs> I
0: did not prep you for this. No. Um, no. Uh, Name the poetry collection you keep returning to. The Adoption Order by Ian McBride. Nice. Uh, And this one I actually made up. This is not on your... It's kind of a a version of one of your questions. But uh, what would the title of your autobiography be?
1: Um, Resurrection. The reason being that my surname Anastasi actually means resurrection, does it? In Greek. Um, I'm not Greek, but it means that in Greek. Yeah, and um, and I like the idea of constantly reinventing myself and constantly evolving. I want to be evolving at the age of 70. Like, I don't want to be the same person. and um, Or something like that. Um, Evolution, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Something to do with evolving. I love that. That's or great. Re, yeah, or change or some kind of, yeah.
0: Beautiful. Um, did, we, did we cover everything you wanted to chat about?
1: Uh, oh, I do want to say that I'm going to be one of the judges on the Melbourne Spoken Web Primes oh, on right. December the 1st. Yep. So anyone out there who wants to um, put their names in the hat to actually convene um, put some poets forward for this but i think there is a draw where you can um be um you know perform and possibly win that prize Ooh. um so yeah melbourne spoken word prize december 1st um also um i can be La the mama poetica so please join the La mama poetica group on facebook join the alan Cat group readings on facebook um and yeah yep Awesome. Yeah. Come along to
0: some gigs. Get amongst it. (laughs)